0: Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to listen. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom, so you can help your kids be imperfect, too. And And have have harmony in the home. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Episode 44, When Our Children Push Our Buttons. And I have a review from... I love Lucy Fan. I love your nicknames because I never know who it is. And she says, Kelly is so uplifting and provides such practical advice that truly helps families have more harmony. I love her real life stories and examples and her vulnerability to share so we can all be better. Thank you for paying it forward to so many. We are all better for it. Oh, thank you so much. My only secret to the universe is that I read a lot of books and then I just pay it forward. And then I want to unleash the power within you so you see yourself as a child expert of your own child. Because I'm not your child's expert. You are your child's expert. And I'm just unleashing that power within you that already resides within you. And so today I'm talking about a topic that is very touchy for people because it's talking about when children push our buttons. They just know what buttons to push. They're always looking for trouble. They know how to get underneath my skin. These are all things we say to ourselves But children are completely neutral, and we are the ones that put the buttons on ourselves. Remember how I talk about the brain, the unconscious part of the brain and the conscious part of the brain. In review, we have 60,000 thoughts a day. 95% of those thoughts are unconscious thinking, which means we've thought them so many times before that it's just old patterning. It's old conditioning. It's old learning. It's stuff that we've been told over and over and over, and we don't ever question. And so becoming a conscious parent and a conscious human being is the ability to question all of it. Think about it, back in the day, we used to go to a restaurant and we would say if we wanted to sit in the smoking or non-smoking section. You think about it now, like what? We never even questioned the smoking section versus the non-smoking section back then. Now we've been conditioned to remember that we don't smoke in restaurants. And if someone actually took out a cigarette and started smoking, It would blow your mind. And I remember going to Colorado when the law had just become normal in Florida and then going to Colorado on and they asked if you wanted to sit in smoking or non-smoking. I remember being an outback and I was so taken aback by the fact that they asked me if I wanted to sit in smoking or non-smoking because I had gotten so conditioned after six months to a year of going to restaurants in Florida where it wasn't even an option anymore. So those new neural pathways were already very conditioned after a year to a six months to a year. And so then when I went to the one in Colorado it was an outback, they said, do you want to sit and smoking or non-smoking? This was many years ago. And it just goes to show how if we don't question all of the things, then we just become robots in our life. And we look at Scientology and we say, oh, wow, they've been brainwashed. I can't believe it. And we look at it with just such awe and just amazement of how that happens. But at some level, we've all been brainwashed. And so the word brainwash, take it for its context. We want to wash our brain. We want to wash our brain and choose the thoughts that we want to think. We just don't want to think the things that our parents have told us to think, conditioning, society, our coaches, our teachers, our friendship peers, our friendship circle, our professors when we get to college. Why don't we question all of it? Because when we can question the little things of why, why can't we smoke in restaurants anymore? Then we can question the bigger things of the bigger messages. The brain is actually very lazy. It likes to seek pleasure, avoid pain and be efficient. It likes to think the same thing over and over. So when someone comes in and challenges that thought, it's very uncomfortable. And feels very uncertain. And we know that the brain likes certainty. And I always say that the magic happens outside of our comfort zone because nothing changes if nothing changes. So we keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And that, my friend, is the definition of insanity. So conscious living is a lot more work for the brain and the brain doesn't like it, but the heart is very happy. So you always have to make a choice when you're making choices, whether it's the workout, whether it's to yell at the kids, whether it's to be more vulnerable with your spouse, whether it's to empty the dishwasher, you have to make the choice in those nanosecond choices between heart and head. And the brain will always stop us. Which is kind of a bummer to think that our brain is against us. But the brain is just always looking for that certainty and it likes to think the same old, same old. So when we're children, we don't know any of this and we take everything as fact. Everything is like the sky is blue when you're a child. And when we're in child, when we are a child and we experience pain. The unconscious brain doesn't know what to do with that pain or that trauma when it's young. So it just kind of stores it and says, I'm not really sure how to handle this. So it pushes it down. It suppresses it. It kind of lets it go and puts it there for later, almost like in a filing cabinet. And then when we become an adult, what the unconscious part of the brain does, you remember that pain that we had when we were a child? Let's unpack that pain now and let's recreate it on our relationships and the relationship with ourselves, and the relationship with our kids and our spouse so we can try to heal that old wound in current time. And I love this quote by Dr. Nicole. She says, self-betrayal is a coping mechanism we learned in childhood when we needed to betray ourselves to receive love from a parent. I mean, that is so powerful. So when I'm working with clients, I always ask, Tell me about mom. Tell me about dad. Tell me about what little girl, little boy. Tell me about your 10-year-old self. And not to go back and make the parents the victim, because then that makes the child the villain, but just to look at it now with grown-up eyes. Because when we're little, we look at it with little people's eyes. And so when we're an adult, like Dr. Shafali says, she says, I don't need to ask about your third grade and how 10-year-old and what you were like at 14. I just have to look at your current situation. And that tells a very clear picture of the past. Because the unconscious pain doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. So it always tries to recreate it in current time to heal that old wound. And then, of course, it doesn't happen. It doesn't heal. And it just keeps re-injuring ourselves. And that's why patterns are so powerful. That's why dysfunctional patterns are passed along like a recipe. Like my mom loves to make tater tot hot dish. And it has tater tots, has corn, beef, and cream of mushroom. And it's delicious. So that's the recipe that I'm passing on to my generation. And so it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Well, somewhere along the line, someone might say, you know what, this tater tot hot dish, what if we added something different to it? What if we added peas or green beans? That would shock the system of the previous recipe owner. But when we become an adult and we have our children in our home, we get to create the recipe that we want. You don't just have to repeat the same patterning over and over and over just because it's a recipe that's been passed on to you. This is when generational dysfunction can be broken and start fresh. So when we look at what is pushing our buttons, there is a space between the child's action and our reaction And that is a nanosecond. Sometimes it's a second, sometimes it's three seconds, sometimes it's five seconds. I encourage my clients to widen that gap as long as possible, because in that pause is where you will find your buttons and your buttons are all put there by old pain. And it's usually rooted out of fear. So when you think of yourself as having buttons all over your body, look to see what is being pushed because children can never push our buttons. They can only push our ego. And remember, the ego is the part in all of us that feels small, insignificant, not good enough, so worried that we're going to mess this parenting gig up or mess this wifehood up or whatever it is. When someone pushes our buttons, they're not actually pushing our buttons They're pushing on our ego, that insecure part in all of us. And so when we know that, then we can get super curious and not just super reactive. I work with clients who come from very stern, very tense childhoods where mistakes were not allowed to be made. You had to get straight A's. And if not, you got a cross eye or you were in trouble or you were shamed or guilted because you didn't try hard enough. Fast forward, that little girl, that little boy grows up and becomes a parent and then their child does something simple like spills their snow cone, and the reaction is so big from the parent because they've been conditioned that you never make a mistake. And when you do, there will be consequences. So you always know that if, you're, if the punishment doesn't fit the crime or your reaction doesn't really match the behavior, kind of like when Lily and Grady were interrupting me when I was on the phone with the speech teacher, when it doesn't match the behavior, that's when you get super curious because we don't want to blame the child for our behavior because that's essentially saying that they started it and they will always start it. Why? Because this is the most vulnerable relationship we're ever going to have. Spouse and children, there's no more vulnerable relationship you're going to have in your life. And so when we know this that our children can show us our buttons and show us our blind spots we're actually look forward to it because when it brings up that little whew, that rubbed me the wrong way kind of feeling then you can go within and say why is this bringing up such a big reaction for me and I always talk to my little girl self I'm like what's the matter love what are you scared about it's going to be okay I talk to myself just like that when something big comes up when I have a big reaction and the less you give into that reaction It gets less powerful. And then they can kind of coexist at the same time. I was working with a client and she was really concerned that her daughter, who was four, wasn't showing a lot of grit, a lot of hard work, would give up very easily, and was not really in it. When something was hard, she just gave up. Or if she lost a game at Monopoly, she got really upset. And I said, What does that bring up for you? What's underneath that button? Because it has nothing to do with the Monopoly, it's never about the Monopoly. Have you ever solved Vanderpump, Lu- <laughs> Vanderpump rules? It's not about the pasta. It's never about the pasta. It's never about the monopoly. And so the mother talked to me and she says, Well, I I'm a rehab counselor and I see so many people addicted to drugs and what drugs does to the grown up when they don't push through the hard times. And I said, Look at all of that reaction because of your current job. So what the brain does is it tries to project that fear onto the four-year-old. So when the four-year-old is like giving up at Monopoly or when the maze was too hard and she was giving up on it, her brain went straight to fear. I got to nip this in the bud or they're going to be in drugs. And it sounds crazy to say out loud, but when we have 60,000 thoughts firing off around the clock, we can just be aware of like, oh, I see So then, it's almost like a bomb that's going to go off, and we just slowly but surely untangle and unlink the two, so they're not codependent and they're not enmeshed. That when the child doesn't show up doing well at Monopoly, that we don't make it mean more than than we need it to. We don't create an extra story. I always tell the story about when Lily was chasing around her teacher when she was three years old, and everybody kept asking her to come play, and she just kept falling around Miss Kim, Miss Kim, Miss Kim, Miss Kim, Miss Kim, and she's like, up, up, up. And then I remember saying to myself, unconsciously, she's never going to go to prom. She's three years old. But that was all rooted out of fear. So when we were aware of our thinking, then we can get to the root of it and be like, oh, that's so silly. It's just fear. That's okay. That's part of the human experience. I'm scared. And that's okay. I was working with a client and her seven-year-old daughter was having really big tantrums and throwing things and destroying the family room. And I said, what does this bring up for you? She said, well, my mom has, we think that she might've had bipolar when we were growing up. She used to have these fits of rages. So when I see my seven-year-old destroying our family room, all I think is what if she inherited something from my mom? And so when we're able to unlink and unwind and kind of loosen that fear and just all the story that we add to it, then it doesn't become so scary. And we can see the two separate human beings as being separate, not intertwined with each other. And I was working with a client and she had a son and she was very upset when he would lie about brushing his teeth. Or if he said he read 20 minutes and it was only 15 minutes or he would sneak on the iPad. And I said, what does lying bring up for you? What story are you adding? And she said, well, I'm a police officer and I just see so many criminals and they just lie right through their teeth. So her reaction wasn't fitting the crime because she would lose her mind if he would yell. And she would see black. Whenever you are losing your mind and going crazy, and you're, I know I have so many clients that tell me, I just saw black. I didn't even know who was doing it anymore. After I was done, it was like an out-of-body experience. What happens a lot is when you feel repressed as a child and you didn't really have a voice, and then your child does something to quote unquote trigger that, then all of a sudden you have a voice and you're not really yelling at your child. You're yelling at the parent who muffled you. I was working with a client and she was told over and over and over by her mom, I wish you were never born. I wish you weren't my daughter. That, would sh- that is what she would say in moments of anger. And she wasn't really sure if she meant it or not. They had a very tense relationship. And so, of course, as the universe and God ha- works it, this client had a daughter. And around five years old, what does the daughter say to the mom? I hate you. I wish you were never my mother. And she said she became so enraged and she just let loose on her daughter because she was so upset. How dare you? She's so disrespectful. And just let her have it. Because what kids do is when they feel pain, they don't know what to do with it. So it's like a hot potato of pain. And they just pass it right back to the parent or the closest person. They essentially are kicking the dog. And so when we are losing it on our kids, we're essentially kicking the dog. And so what I encourage clients and people that I'm working with is to remove the dog and see what's there when you don't have a dog to kick. And that's where all old pain comes up. And so a lot of people don't want to face it. And they just would rather repeat the old patterns because that is the easier way. And yes, this is hard work, but I feel like sleeping with mommy guilt every night and not being the mom that you want to be is a lot harder. So we get to always choose our hard. This work I have done with my kids has been so incredibly hard because it's hard to look within. It's hard to admit faults. It's hard to shed the ego, but over time it gets so much easier. And the sense of peace that you have, it's almost like falling asleep and knowing that your finances are all taken care of, that you know that you're following a budget and you're staying pretty close to the budget. That peace of mind to fall asleep at night is so peaceful versus like putting our heads in the sand. We don't know how much is coming in. We don't know how much is coming out. We're just going to hope for the best. That insecure feeling is a very uncomfortable way to sleep. So when you can lay your head on the pillow at night and feel good about the way that you showed up and the energy you brought to the table and the amount of emotional literacy that you taught throughout the day, that's when you can give yourself a high five at the end of the day. And yes, it's hard to look when it's hard to look within and it's hard to look at old pain. But that old pain is there no matter what. And the more that you deal with it head on and acknowledge it, then it can process and pass through and not have such a hold on you. I was working with another client and she said that her twins, when they argued, she would get super hot, hot underneath the collar, let them have it, lose their mind, say unkind things to them, name call them. And I was like, what's the story? What's underneath it? Tell me what's underneath the button. Because if you don't peek underneath the button, the button will just keep getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And remember, children don't push buttons. They push egos. The more that we get it pushed, the better, because then we can shed the ego over time and it less has, and it has less power over us. And she said, well, I grew up as an only child, and I feel like they are so lucky to have each other, and they don't even realize it. So when they argue, I lose my mind because I would have given anything to have a sibling. And what are they going to do when I'm gone? What are they going to do when their father's gone? Because my parents are gone, and I didn't have my siblings. I didn't have any siblings. And that was very lonely and very hard. So when I see these three-year-olds arguing, I get very triggered because they're not being appreciative of each other. And P.S., this mom was 35 with no health conditions, and she's going to live a very long life. But this is what fear does to us. It turns us into a crazy person. And this is good to know. This is such good news. Because when you see that it's just old pain that's trying to be recreated, Then you could acknowledge the old pain, let it be recreated separate from our most vulnerable relationships because our children are so innocent and they're so impressionable and it's monkey see, monkey do. So instead of being so concerned about what they're doing, all we have to do is control our side of the street and show up the way that we want them to show up. And then it's game on like Donkey Kong. I can give you strategies all day long, but if you're not willing to look within, it's going to feel like Groundhog's Day and clients don't like to hear this. They want to tell me all the things about their child that are doing wrong, then they did this, then they did this, then they got suspended, then they got expelled, then they got did that then they smoked the weed, then they did that is all just a symptom. It's all here just to wake us up. It's all happening for us and it's never happening to us. So how do we want to show up? That part we can control. Our children have free will. They are going to make choices that will boggle our minds. My kids still every day make choices. I'm like, what is going on? But when I just control my side of the street and realize any reactivity that I have all comes from my stuff, then I'm able to detach my ego. And then I can attach at the heart level, just like I did in the schools. It was so easy when I was in the schools because I had no ego with the students and with the children who came in my office. It was all just love. So it was very easy to detach the ego I was working with a client, and she came from a very emotionally unavailable family. No I love yous, no hugs and kisses. It was very serious. Just get the A's, get the B's, just super quiet, not a lot of laughter. So now she's growing up, and then she has teenagers. And what do teens do when they start to become a teenager? They start to pull away. So when she would feel her teenager pull away, she was super triggered. And then she got super needy and clingy, which makes them push away even more, just like me with PJ Verga. The more needy and clingy and graspy that we come towards our children, no matter what age, the more they're going to repel and push us away. And that's not what we want. So she was being wounded over and over and over because she was getting that same sense of neediness that she had as a child. And so we have two chances to have this parent-child relationship. The first one, we had no control over. This next one, the one that we're currently in, we have all sorts of control and control in the most empowering way, not in the control-based fear way. You can actually be the parent that you needed when you were younger. But if you just push it away and push it away and everything was rosy and not look within and not look to see where your triggers are, you want to be triggered because there is so much power in that pause because in that pause, you can see the story. And then once you start to untwist that story and unravel it and disentangle it, and unwind it, then it has less power. You still honor the pain. It still happen, but you don't project it all onto your kids. And when you can unlink it and you can unscramble it and you can take it away, then there's not this big detonation where you're just about to explode and walking on eggshells at any minute because you're really angry at mom, really angry at dad, really angry at brother, sister, whatever that old pain is. And you're not Taking it out on your child. Because the child, when they're being yelled at or shamed or guilted, they don't stop loving the parent that's yelling or hitting them or shaming them. They stop loving themselves. And then they act very unlovable. So I want you to start thinking about your thinking and seeing your triggers and loving your triggers and knowing that no child can ever push your buttons. Then you don't give all your emotional power to your children you take all of your power back and then you become super empowered. That's why this work is so personal to each person because then you can start to collapse and disarm all your triggers and dismantle them so they don't have so much power and see the behavior as always a language to us of what our children need because they want to be loved by mom and dad, but they also want to be liked by mom and dad. And when they feel that, then they act really likable and really lovable because they're in alignment with their throbbing spirit. And you have to see their behavior as a language instead of making it about you. I did it for years, and that's the only reason why I know this. And they had all the emotional power. They pretty much decided how the day was gonna go. And that, my friend, was a giant roller coaster, and that's why I was exhausted. But when you can detach the ego and attach at the heart level and see it as all happening for you, and look forward to the triggers because then you don't give into that urge and it loses its power over time like we talked about before, that you don't have the urge to call your ex-boyfriend, but that urge was super strong. But every time you didn't give into it, guess what happened? You lost the urge, you lost the urge, you lost the urge. It got so weak that now if I even mentioned it to you, you'd be like, what are you talking about? That's the same thing when it comes to yelling or shaming or getting super mad that you can't even understand it. Be super curious of where that anger comes from because it's never about the children. Look at the buttons that they're pushing. See how it's pushing on our ego. And then it gets super empowering because the children who need love the most will always ask for it in the most unloving ways. Russell Barkley said that, and that always resonated with me because you can always look at the child's behavior as a language as information, as data. When I was a counselor, I used to go into the child's classroom. I was the behavior specialist also. And so I would go into the classroom and I would be watching a child for a solid hour And I would take notes on this child every 15 seconds. What's this child doing? They didn't know I was there to watch them. They just saw it was someone from the front office that was in their classroom in the back taking notes. And I would watch this child like a zoo animal. I would watch them like a hawk, just taking information, data, data, data. What are they doing at this 15 seconds, then 30 seconds, then 40 seconds, 45 seconds, then 60 seconds. And it was all data, on-task, off-task behavior. What happened before that behavior to lead up to that behavior? What is this information telling us? For one hour, I would take notes every 15 seconds, on-task, off-task, so I could see the percentage of on-task behavior and what was pulling this child away from being on-task. And you can look at it as data. Then we can bring the parents in, and then we can formulate a plan, But so many parents are being reactive where they're just like, they did this, then I did this. They did this, then I did this. Instead of being super curious. And what happened five minutes before, five seconds before, five minutes before, five hours before, five days before? What's going on from their point of view? Put on their goggles as a three-year-old, as a 13-year-old. What are they dealing with? What are they seeing through their goggles? What's going on with this child as data, not against that we're failing, it's just data. And when you take the data and you can see it from a bird's eye view, then you can offer what the child needs versus the same old, same old, and rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, and feeling like Groundhog's Day. So look at your buttons, look what's being pushed, and just know that it's not your children pushing your buttons, but pushing on your ego, and learn how to detach at the ego level so you can always attach at the heart level. I hope this helped. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting boot camp, where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.